Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God, and now we're going to talk about a really foolish subject. We're going to, a subject. We're going to talk about fools who are subject. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, I've had a statement that I've made, and we've all heard it many times from other people that you can't fix stupid, and the word foolish or fool. Our uh, foolishly appears so many times in the Bible, and it is also translated stupid. And, and the fact is, when you say a word appears in the Bible, like fool, uh, it's um, it's not one word that is translated fool. It is many, many, many different words that are translated fool. I mean, there are different words in the Hebrew that are translated fool. There are or foolish, or foolishly, as a verb, as a noun. And uh, there's also many words that are translated in the Greek as foolish. So there's more than one word, at least. And so which word are you actually reading at a particular time? And what does, what does it mean that's a little bit different? I mean, if the original authors were writing words down in the Greek, and they picked a particular word in the Greek to use, and then you come along and translate it into a single English word, you're going to lose something of the original meaning. It really is clear enough from for anybody who's walking in the Holy Spirit. The Bible translation, well, I wouldn't say all translations are equal, because certainly they aren't the same, so they can't be equal, but the reality is is that uh, we lose something, it gets lost in translation. And so, you know, I was up at four this morning working on trying to figure out how to get this message out today. I worked on it over the week, several hours. Uh, and then I've worked over the years, thousands of hours, to try to put these things together so that people can understand them. And I was talking to somebody the other day who was talking about they they want to go to church and get a Bible study. And then I know other people want to go to church and get a sermon. And uh, other people go to church for the music. Uh, some people go to church for the potluck afterwards. <laughs> so everybody's got a different reason for going to church. But Christ came for a particular reason. He came that you might be saved. Because, you know, it is the nature of God to care about you. But it is also not the nature of God to spoil you. There are bad parents out there who spoil their children. Their children grow up to be quite uh, foolish. <laughs> There's that word again, foolish. And uh, uh, they act foolishly. And the reality is, is if we look out in the world, that we're going to see an awful lot of foolishness. Well, last week, uh, or actually, uh, we've talked about narcissism, which is a foolish way of thinking. It's thinking about yourself. You, you know, you're, you fall in love with your own image or what you think is the image. A lot of people, you know, 
they're better online or they think they're they're a lot better than the rest of the people think and uh they're kind of narcissistic and of course you know people talk about america make america great again and other people come along and say when was america ever great and well you know america what is america you know you have to define your terms that's what i find all the time when i'm talking to people it's Let's define our terms so that we know that we're talking about the same thing. We're not comparing, you know, apples and nuts. Uh, so what, what do these words mean? America is like a continent and actually there's South America, which is one continent, North America, which is another continent. So if you're from Terra del Fugio, you're an American because you're from South America. If you're from Mexico, you're an American. But we use the term a lot of times referring to some kind of United States citizen. I'm an American. Well, all Americans aren't equal. And certainly all Americans aren't United States citizens. And so what are we talking about? Was America ever great? Well, there were people in America that were pretty great. They weren't good because none is good but God. That's what we read in the Bible. Even Christ says that. Why do you call me good? For none is good uh, but God. And that is kind of the nature of God. We talked about that in the last couple of weeks. Uh, people want to, you know, atheists don't want to believe in God. They want to believe in reason. And so they uh, they say, well, we can, we don't need God to get right reason. But the definition of divine will is right reason. The definition of natural law, which is supposedly created by the creator, God, whatever God is, whoever God is, uh, is supposed to also be synonymous with the term right reason. So they're arguing they, they don't believe in God, but they believe in right reason. What they really say is, I don't believe in your image of God that you have in your mind, in your vocabulary. But they, if they believe in right reason, they believe in God because God is right reason. Uh, he is maybe other things, the creator of right reason, the, the pattern of right reason, the energy of right reason. He, he manifests himself in a billion, trillion different ways. But God, whatever God is, he has to be right reason. He, ha- and, and we also define that as divine will. So, People get in debate over things like that, and uh, I saw, I didn't listen to the entire thing, but I saw part of it where Jordan Peterson and a fellow, I can't remember his name right offhand, but he is an atheist and uh, claims we don't need uh, to God in order to come to right reason, but uh, they talked for hours and hours and we didn't, it didn't go anywhere. It was almost a waste of time because, you know, they just went on and on and on and they never, and, and really the problem is vocabulary. You know, let's define our terms. Now, well, how do you define the term God? That God is this infinite creature that created the entire universe and always was and always will be. Well, that's a, that's a, a definition. But what, how, how do you define an infinite being with a finite language? It's, it's impossible. 
And so they just kind of went around and around and around and they were mostly arguing over what vocabulary they were going to use to describe the same thing. Um, and some, some people have a prejudice against the vocabulary of God, so they call themselves atheists. It's amazing to me when I was reading ancient history and reading ancient documents about why the Christians were persecuted. Perse- Christians were persecuted. One of the common charges against them was that they were atheists. That's That was the charge against Christians as the, and the accusation against Christians that they were atheists. And of course, they said they believed in God, but God was not visible. It was this invisible, spiritual, you know, existing one with no name, which of course is what you go back to Moses and God had no name. We eventually called them Yahweh and weren't even supposed to mention the name, but the name really is kind of just another one of those descriptions of him, the existing one. I am that I am. And so he is the God that is known by many names. But basically, whatever God is, he has to be right reason. You know, I have my opinion of what is true, and you have your opinion of what, of what is true, but God is truth. He is what is. That's why he is the existing one. I am what I am. I, he is what he is. So, that's, that's God as far as I can define him. I mean, I can go on and on and on like Jordan Peterson and, and, uh, his, uh, uh, fellow debater, atheist debater, and never get anything actually said. Although I found, you know, bits and parts parts of what they were saying interesting. It was fascinating to look at the mind of an atheist and how he skirts around. He doesn't want to believe in a divine entity, God, but he thinks that he can reason his way to the same conclusion that uh, many of the prophets came to by saying there's a God. They came to the same conclusions. It's like uh, a debate with uh, uh, Prager. Uh, Dennis Prager had a debate with a fellow about the existence of God. And the guy presented his case why God can't exist and explaining about nature and the extent of the universe and everything. And finally Dennis said, all your proofs that there are not a God are my proofs that there is a God. <laughs> but look at the patterns in nature and physics and, and the universe and that's why I say there is a God. And of course that's why the atheist says there can't be a God. Because all these things fit uh, without God. Well, it's because God is not something you can put in a bottle. He's not a genie. He's not a worker of magic. Uh, he's He's... Not that you could put a genie in a bottle. I don't know what a genie would look like. We have animation now of them. <laughs> but the reality is, is you can't, you can't put God into a package, into a box of ideas or anything. It's bigger than that. And so the term God becomes a kind of heuristic. It's undefinable, but we say things like Yahweh, God, and you know, the Muslims use the word Allah, but then they go about defining what God is and trying to put them into that bottle. 
of ideas and concepts. Well, personally, I think that endeavor, although you can, you can certainly, it's what I call campfire talk. You can talk about it and ponder it. And maybe you'll come up with some ideas. Like when I was listening to those two debate, I thought, oh, well, that's kind of interesting point of view and this kind of interesting, but none of them could actually get down to defining what God was because it's foolishness for a finite creature to try to define or put God into a definition. So I'm not going to do it. I'll talk about God and I'll talk about right reason. But I'm not going to put it into a bottle, into into a catechism of ideas that you have to memorize because you're not going to know God by memorizing facts and information. That's like trying to know life by eating of the tree of knowledge. You can't do it. It's incomplete because you will always be incomplete if you depend upon knowledge because you can't hold all the knowledge. Most people can't hold more than one or two ideas in their mind at the same time. That's what IQ tests are actually measuring is the ability of the mind to hold multiple concepts in their mind at the same time. You know, if they're doing it with images, they're showing you pictures and they're saying which of these don't fit so you have to look at the parameters of each picture and find out which one doesn't fit is the the worst fitting of all the different images and in order to do that you have to know that there's a turn here and a and an elbow here and a corner here and a color here and and you see the pattern because you hold all these different ideas at the same time. And you look across at the five images and you say, well, this one is quite different. It does something different that is consistent in all the others. But you have to hold literally all all the parameters in the five different images in your mind at the same time. And you can and some people can just look at it and they just they just see that, oh, this one's not. And that person is called a genius. Because they can hold multiple ideas in their mind at the same time. But genius doesn't make you good either. Genius just says that you have an ability to see multiple ideas at the same time. Multiple concepts. Either, you know, you do the same thing when they're testing you with words. uh, As words are pictures of ideas. You know, they represent an idea, and so if you can hold multiple ideas in your mind at the same time, multiple concepts of words, you can look at five different words and say this one doesn't fit, or this these two are similar, and so then you can get labeled a genius. But as I'm fond of saying, both Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty were geniuses, but one worked evil and the other one defended justice and and right, which it's not really clear in the character of Sherlock Holmes if he was really all that good, uh, too, but uh, he, his challenge was to defeat the evil genius, <laughs> but it was still often a work of vanity. But what about us who are not necessarily geniuses, or all the people that are not geniuses, have they less value? Well, of course, if you value a person simply because they're smart, yeah, you might say if you don't score high on an IQ test, you have less value. But the reality is is that we're compensating creatures. That if we're 
less in one area, we may be greater in another area. Loyalty has to count to something. Honesty has to count to something. I knew a fellow who worked in a, in a big kind of factory like, uh, position and he wasn't very smart and he knew he wasn't very smart and he, you could tell him things and he would get them mixed up. But eventually he, he learned the routine. It wasn't a complex job, but it was an important job. But something happened on the job and he lied about it. He didn't tell the truth. He was ashamed of it. And so he didn't tell the truth and they fired him because they don't tolerate somebody who doesn't tell the truth. Personally, I would have kept him on because, but I would have impressed upon him, maybe laid him off for a week or something. Uh, he was injured, uh, in the, in what he didn't tell the truth about. He did something he wasn't supposed to do and got injured slightly. And so he needed to have some time off anyway. And then would have brought him back and emphasized that, you know, I would have just told him flat out, you know, you're not the smartest cookie in the box. But you were honorable. And you lost that when you didn't tell the truth. You have to make a mental note that becomes a fa- part of the fabric of your being that you will always tell us the truth. And, but they, the particular head of that company wasn't very bright and he just fired him and didn't hire him back. And he's always having trouble with good men leaving because he overworks the good men and he, he abuses the employees and, and so he's always has trouble with that. And so in that sense, he's not very smart. <laughs> he's kind of foolish. So we're going to talk about a lot of different foolish things. What I, one of the things I was going to talk about, and this is where I was, getting the uh, original ideas coming off of the subjects of narcissism and before that we we put up a page on uh, social capital what social capital because Christ talked about social capital that it was extremely important but he never used the term social capital he used the word treasure great pearl you know you know, give up the things that you have. And I, I mentioned, uh, you know, I heard in a movie where a guy told his young nephew, I guess, never measure wealth by money because that's not where the wealth is. Character was important. Honor was important. These are the things that made you wealthy, not money. Because you have all the money in the world and be a total jerk. You can be dishonest, you can be cruel, you can be, you know, undependable, selfish. You can be, you can be undependable because you're lazy, you can be undependable because you're a liar, you can be undependable because, uh, you're not very bright, but if you're dependable, reliable, then you know, all your other weaknesses begin to balance against that because people know they can count on you. They may know that you have limits. You know, maybe you can't run as fast as somebody else so that we don't give you the job that requires a lot of running. Maybe you can't lift a lot of stuff. So we give you another job that doesn't require a lot of lifting. But we know that if I tell you to... You, we need you to do this and you say you will do it, that it will get done if it's within your capacity. 
So there are lots of things that give a person value that aren't about intelligence or strength. They're about those things we call virtues. And we talked about virtues in our uh, in several of our programs now because that's very important in vice. There really is only one virtue, and that is unselfishness. And there is really only one vice, and that is selfishness. And so when we talk about foolish, foolish is everybody who wants to be selfish. (laughs) And wise would be everybody who wants to be unselfish. And so if wise is the antithesis of foolish. So are you foolish or are you wise? And what I, what I was going to talk about is being naive, uh, being uh, naive, you know, and can you do something about it? If you at times have been fooled, if you've been somewhat naive, can you do something about that naivety to to counterbalance it or make it go away or overcome it? And so I, I put together a lot of notes on this as I, as if I was going to talk about this uh, naivety. But then I started looking at, you know, because what is naivety but foolishness? I mean, there's foolishness because you're just ignorant. Yea, but for the lack of knowledge. You don't know something. And then there is foolishness because you don't want to know something. That you don't want to hear the truth. You don't want to confront the truth. And and I have to deal with that and a lot of people all the time. Because we can show you what the Bible says. Just flat out. I mean, it says it right here. Thou shalt not covet anything that is thy neighbor. That's in the Ten Commandments. Jesus tells us not to covet. Paul tells us not to covet. Peter tells us not to covet. Peter even tells us that because... Of our covetous practices, we will be made merchandise. I saw somebody commenting, they just passed a law in Oregon. Oh, actually, it's not fully passed a law, it passed the Senate. And that's not a good sign <laughs> if it passed the Senate. And what it is, is that there's two counties, Harney County and Lake County, that we have a tremendous coyote problem. They don't have this in Portland. <laughs> they have other problems in Portland. But we have a coyote problem. And I know I happened to talk to somebody the day before I, uh, somebody posted the, the Senate passed this, uh, bill or resolution. I'm, I think it's a bill, Senate bill. He, he, he was saying, I can't keep a pet. I can't keep cats or dog. If I let them out, the coyotes get them. He lives out in Christmas Valley and he's surrounded by sagebrush and there are lots and lots of coyotes out there. And they come right up on his porch and take his cats and his dogs right off the porch and kill them. And I've seen it with mountain lions too. So that's kind of a problem that they don't have in Portland. So they had a solution. But Portland doesn't want us to exercise that solution. The And the Senate has ruled against it. So we'll talk about that when we come back and see why that's foolish. So anyway, we're, we were talking about this uh, bill that passed in Oregon. I just use this as an example because this happened to be in the news and, and in our community, this is a big deal. And what it was was that you have a choice when the coyotes get 
numerous. You can't hunt coyotes out of existence. I mean, it's almost impossible. The more you hunt them, the bigger their litters get. Well, one of the reasons their litters get big when you hunt them is there's more food supply around, and so therefore they will have bigger litters. But nature has a way of balancing itself out, and occasionally it gets unbalanced, and we're supposed to dress it and keep it and rebalance it. You know, it's kind of like what was going on in the unnatural uh, nature-conserved area called Yellowstone National Park. It's completely unnatural, Yellowstone. It is not a natural environment. It, it They've destroyed its natural existence uh, through improper management. And so what was happening, there was a huge amount of erosion taking place because there were all these elk and buffalo and everything grazing down next to the rivers. And uh, they they overgrazed because there were too many of them. And because nobody was hunting them. And then the wolves were gone. And so nobody was hunting them. And so it uh, got to be uh, bad where the river was actually changing course and silting up. And there was erosion. And it was not a good thing. And actually weed species were coming in. And, and so they always think about some intensive way of of trying to fix this. Well, they thought, well, let's bring the wolf back in. Well, the wolf was quite the predator. You know, it's like, okay, why don't we bring the grizzly bear back in because they like to eat elk. (laughs) We can can do that, but that's really hard on campers (laughs) if you start doing that. So um, anyway, they brought the wolf back in and they thought this was the way to do it. There was an easy way to do it. A much wiser way to do it. They already have an unnatural environment in there because they've made it a park. They got roads going through there and they, they've got garbage and they got all kinds of problems that they didn't have when they weren't there. If you wanted to keep the elk back so that they weren't always in certain areas and they weren't overpopulating, you just go out and hunt them. And if, since it's a park-like condition, you could, you could bring in kids in wheelchairs who'd never been hunting before or, or other people that had, you know, old guys and have a special hunt where they, on certain days out of the year, they could go out there and hunt. You could, I'm sure if you asked for volunteers, you'd get people to participate in this and they would come and skin out the elk when they shot them. They would be clean shots and not wounded animals and the meat would not go to waste. And people would tan the hides and make gloves out of them. And, and they do all this kind of stuff that happens in regular hunts out here. I mean, uh, there's, there is some waste, but you can, if, if you manage it right, you can cut out on all that waste. And now the elk have a right population. There's a balance. You're not overgrazing. You're not getting the erosion. They're not all hanging around all the time. They have a certain fear and respect for people because they know occasionally people hunt them. <laughs> and so you become a part, your management practices become a part of nature. What's happened now is the wolves are growing in number. And they're actually talking about now having to kill some of the wolves because they're getting too many. But they go up and they kill all the fawns and they kill all the young. And they uh, they gut out the... the uh, uh, female elks, you know, they catch them and run them down. They'll kill four or five elk in a night. And then the meat just lays there and rots because they're just killing for sport. 
Animals kill for sport. They don't just kill and are very efficient about what they kill. They kill for sport. And, uh, but it, you don't see the murder and mayhem that is going on in the woods because you don't have a camera there. And so people don't understand nature, that you're supposed to be a part of nature. You're supposed to manage it. And if you don't manage it, terrible things happen. Now, somebody just released a video fairly recently of walruses climbing up on cliffs and falling off. And they they it was a total fraudulent deal. I mean, walruses do climb up on cliffs and fall off. But why are they falling off? And they were saying because of global warming, they're exhausted from swimming because there's no ice to be on, which is not true. It's just made up. There's all kinds of ice. There's more walruses now than there were years ago. The the population is booming. Same with the polar bears. They were trying to tell us a few years ago that polar bears are dying out because you know, and they show a couple of polar bears sitting on ice, and and they tell you this, and these these foolish people who don't do their homework can't hold more than one idea in their head at one time believe this rhetoric, and they're going to get taken to the cleaners, you know. And if you if you criticize them, you're a climate denier. Uh, I believe in climate. Climate's real. <laughs> I don't deny climate. I just deny that some of the research that they're coming up with is accurate. And now we're exposing it. But that's not going to get on CNN or a lot of these. What happens is these people get into these closed loops, these uh echo chambers, they call them, because they package the truth into this little package. And you can't have right reason when you package things into a little package. And because the universe is bigger than your package. And so they think that there's global warming caused by men. You know, so how are global, global warming caused on Mars? How, how are, is this being caused on Saturn? Because they say some of the other planets have heated up a little bit. Uh, I, I'm not even sure all that's accurate because I think that Right now we're in solar minimums. So the sun is the key cause of heating up on the earth. You know, if the sun lost 3% of its energy, we'd probably all die, <laughs> you know, on the earth. Uh, so just slight variations in the sun. We have a fairly stable sun, although there are variations from time, that this it can cause a cooling. And we can show this throughout history, that activities on the sun can cause cooling. And it actually can cause warming up. But activities on the sun can also cause volcanic eruptions on the earth, believe it or not. And I explained that. I actually worked on several pages from articles I wrote way back in the 1990s uh, about some prophetic events and stuff like that. And I've upgraded. I'm not going to tell you where they are. That's It's for those people who join the Living Network. We'll show them because it's telling you of things to come. Uh, but... Uh, there was uh, events on the sun that causes earthquakes and volcanoes on the earth. We're affected by that. And and there's an actual reason. And it's that bigger picture that people don't want to see. Well, we're in solar minimum right now. There was a little activity in, uh, last month. But for solar minimum, it was quite a bit of activity. But it's really very minimal. This is actually going to cause cooling, which is why you see ice sheets increasing and and more snow in the poles. It's not less, it's more. 
and we're getting stories coming out almost every month where they we find that people were lying about the statistics that were saying global warming. All this is to create a tax and take more of your livelihood, and by foolish people, you know, with that are have succumbed to the soul syndrome. But I know this is probably going over a lot of people's heads. But back to the walrus, just to show you how easily people are fooled. Supposedly they're climbing up on this island. They've you you go to people who've been watching these for years, and they say they're always climbing up on the island. They've been doing this for years, and yeah, they're real crowded there. If you if you take your drones around to the other side. And you film what's going on. There's polar bears on the other side. Polar bears can swim in the ocean for days. They do this. They're, they're made. It's one of the things about that. They almost have webbed feet for swimming. They're designed for swimming. They like to go to these islands. They go up and they scare the walruses in a menacing way. The walruses all gather up and fall off. And then they go down and eat the dead walrus. They don't have to fight them because a walrus is a pretty big animal. Uh, and risk getting hurt or injured. He's dead already. He fell down. Eagles do this. They pull goats off of cliffs. They just knock them off. And then they go down and eat them. And other wildlife does the same thing. I just saw a picture the other day where uh, I think it was a bighorn sheep and a mountain lion were dead at the bottom of a cliff. Because the mountain lion fell off too. It's a risky business being a predator. And so when Congress starts becoming a predator, (laughs) they should realize that that's risky business. And that's what we have with them passing this law to cut down on the hunting and back to the coyotes. So just to finish up with the walrus, they've been doing this for years and years and years. And one of the reasons those walruses were panicking and falling off it's because there was some idiot biologist flying a drone around filming all this. He was contributing to the walruses falling. Uh, and so the woman who's crying through the narrative, uh, trying to sh- pull on your uh, naive emotional, uh, you know, uh, feelings and pull your emotional strings so that you're not operating from reason. And she doesn't give you the reason. She's lying to you. She's creating a false narrative, a false image. And they evidently knew it in order to advance their agenda. So if you, if you stay in your sound bite reality, in your echo chamber, you're not, and you become unwilling to hear anything other than what you have already accepted as true, you're not willing to listen to the other side. You will be easily duped. You will become part of the foolish masses, masses, uh, that, uh, that, uh, are, are going to be duped and led down the primrose path to destruction. And when we get into some of the things you can do to prevent you from being foolish or naive or naive, uh, one of them is, is that you have to push the envelope. You have to be willing to listen to others. You have to be willing to accept the idea that you might be wrong. So if you, you're one of those people who saw those videos of the walruses falling and you fell for the, the crocodile tears of the narrator that, oh, this is all caused by global warming. It isn't. It's caused by 
polar bears they didn't show you <laughs> that are in extremely high numbers now that they have I know people live up in Barrow when they go bicycle riding they take their 44 magnum with them because <laughs> the bears come right into town there are polar bears coming out your ears uh, another one of those false narratives that polar bears are going to be extinct because of global warming not so uh, there's a matter of fact they're so numerous they've created another problem because they're they're so far south now you know they're supposedly headed towards warmer climate but the, the reason they're headed south is because there's so many they're eating up their uh, you know they're crowding each other out and they're being driven south south by the numerous polar bears and they're breeding with grizzly bears and you're getting either grizzly bear, you know, if it's a grizzly bear male and a polar bear female, it's called one thing. And so I can't even remember what they call them, the, the, but it's a combination of polar and grizzly and, or grizzly and polar. A growler, I think is what one is called. But, uh, they're, they're really a dangerous animal. They're crossbred and they didn't think they could breed, you know, just like mules can't breed because they're crossed between a horse and a donkey. But actually, some of them have been breeding, which is creating almost a whole new species. Strange things are afoot in the Arctic. But uh, it's not global warming that's doing this at all. It's nature. But if you don't look at the big picture, you're easily fooled. And so, and that picture is pretty darn big. (laughs) But there are some tricks to being able to see the truth and not being fooled. And hopefully, before we're done with this series, and this is important, a part of structure, because even if you get structure, you know, and our whole series on structure and dry bones, can these dry bones live again? There's a structure, there's a pattern, but then you have to put muscle and sinew and blood and tissue on those bones, and then you have to breathe a certain spirit into there. If you're going to receive the spirit of God, the spirit of righteousness, the spirit of right reason, the spirit of divine will into your heart and mind, you have to be humble. If you're shouting down people, and not letting people speak, and not listening to anybody who has a different opinion than you, or think you have the right to control somebody else so they, they fit into your emotional echo chamber. Then you're not going to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be receiving the spirit of right reason. You're not going to see things as they really are. So that's very important. That's part of repenting. Repenting is not being sorry. It's thinking a different way. So these are telltale signs that if you're shouting other people down, if you won't let other people speak, if you're protesting because you don't want anybody else to hear this guy's opinion, if you're censoring people on Facebook or Google, you're playing the tyrant. And you are headed for destruction. Not because 
you know, people think, oh, we can't let that person speak because he says bad things. He has hate speech, etc. No. No, you have to let him speak. You have to give him the opportunity of making a mistake or making a fool of himself. Each of us must become self-censoring as to what is the truth. We need to be able to hear the lie and accept the idea that it's a lie, that it's not true. And we need to develop the skill, and this is another one of those things, of determining whether somebody is lying to us or not. And when we go through all these different, I've got them all listed in, in a row, when we go through all of them, these things will come back and make sense. We'll sum them up. So that uh, rather than give you the list and then go through these things, I'm I'm telling you these stories so that you can see it. So now back to the coyotes. <laughs> Since we finished with the polar bears and the uh, walruses and the uh, uh, biologist drones that are scaring the walruses and making them fall. The, uh, the out here the coyotes can become a real problem because they can overbreed and then they're killing sheep. They're, they, I, I, we had a cow that was calving here. There's a bunch of young cows, the heifers that had never calved before, and somebody had us watching them, and so we had them in a pen near here. And one of them was really spooky. These cows were range cows. They hadn't been around people much, and uh, she got even more spooky when she went into labor. She jumped the fence and went running off, and I tracked her till dark, and I tracked her after dark. I tracked her till almost nine thirty, ten o'clock, and I just could not get her because she just kept moving away. She was really spooky, and uh, so the first light early in the morning, uh, I think it didn't get light then until about five thirty or so. But I was out there before the sun even came up. And tracked her, and I tracked her another couple miles, found her down in, or where she had laid down in a willow stand, and had her calf. And you could see, when I was tracking her, I could see coyote tracks following just off the side a little bit. They don't fall right in her tracks, they fall off to the side. And then she finally laid down to have that calf, and you could see where they sat. Until the calf was coming out. And then once that head is out a little bit, they go up and kill the calf. They tear out its jugular vein. They go for the throat. And they get that jugular vein bleeding. And then they go off and sit. And then eventually the cow is born. But it's dead. And the, you know, the calf is born and he's dead. And the cow stands there and tries to get it awake and licks it off and cleans it. And the cow just sit there and wait. And she never gets a response out of her calf because it's dead. And unlike a lot of people who like to abort their children, cows don't like that. And eventually she goes off, you know. And she, I found her way down by the river, laying down there all depressed. And, of course, when I, by the time I got to the calf, it was half eaten. And the coyotes heard me coming, so they're off in the woods, you know, off in the brush somewhere. But this goes on. Hundreds, thousands of times all across the West, ranchers, it's worse with sheep, goats, all these animals. And uh, and nobody sees it in the cities. We see it out here. But if you cut down on the coyotes, the number of coyotes, and you shoot a few of them, and uh, you hunt them with dogs, 
And then they don't come around. They stay out in the desert and eat jackrabbits and rats and mice and stuff like that, which are hard on the desert. They're not eating the cows. Now, also, I've I've talked uh, on previous shows and I put up on our agricultural page some videos that you can see that if you're going to save the soil of of the world and huge areas, we're talking billions of hectares of uh, of ground. If you're going to save it from becoming deserts, you need to have livestock. It's the only way to do it. And people think, oh, livestock is bad, cows are bad, because you got these people living in these little echo chambers say, telling you, oh, no, cows are bad. Oh, you know how much water it takes um, to raise a pound of beef, you know, it's you know, I don't know, 150 gallons, they say, so raise a pound of beef. <laughs> uh, these, are, these are nonsense statistics. You know, it may that actually may be accurate, but you know how much water there is in the earth after you raise a billion pounds of beef? There's the exact same amount of water. <laughs> you haven't used up any water whatsoever by raising beef. There's the same amount of water. And it, and it changes it because the water is going to, that urine is going to evaporate and go up into clouds and all this stuff. And they say, oh, methane. What about methane? Methane, there's far more methane being created in swamps than there is in cows. You know, Okefenokee's swamp probably produces more methane than all of the cows in the United States. I mean, it's huge amounts. And that's just one place. I mean, in your backyard, methane is being created. Uh, in your sewage plants, uh, methane, it's, it's there. It's all around. And the same way carbon, carbon's not a problem. Carbon's not a toxin. Carbon is an essential element of life. So carbon dioxide is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's all about balance. And, you want to create more balance. You want to have more land, not arid desert, but growing grasslands. And the way to do that is more livestock. But you don't listen to these other opinions. You get an opinion and then you become proud of your opinion and you, you can't change. And it makes you a fool and you do foolish things and you allow other men to do foolish things. And you become merchandise. All these things are connected. And you curse your children. And you don't even realize it. And they're manipulating you. So how do you get to a state where you can't be manipulated to do foolish things? How how does Pinocchio finally wise up? And of course, the answer, I can give it to you in one word. I can give it to you in a thousand words. It's sacrifice. Christ didn't come to end sacrifice. He came to teach you how to sacrifice. The right way to sacrifice. This is the way it works. <laughs> if you don't want to know the way it works, then uh, I, can't, I, I can't help you. Because I can tell you how it works, but you're not going to hear it. So, anyway, uh, on my series on on Nave, uh, uh, being naive uh, and being a Nave, which is what a lot of us have become. What's the question? What makes a person naive? One one thing that they say, brain development is 
uh, use dependent. You use it or lose it. Same with muscles. You know, they talk about brain power, muscle, you know, the muscle up there between your ears. You, you have a job to do. You can do it just by struggling against it or you can be a little smarter and get a lever. And uh, an inclined plane, you can find ways of getting things done. This is what makes humans great is that they can take their muscles and their brain and balance things, make things, dress it and keep it. You can go out into nature and you can improve nature. And when you're doing that, you're a part of nature. You're in a symbiotic relationship with nature. That's what livestock is. Livestock is natural. Because man is natural. We're all subject to the God of nature. And that that God of nature, that divine creator, has put us here and put livestock here in order to help us manage the land. Yes, some ranchers don't manage the land well. They'll abuse the land. And guess what will happen? They'll go out of business. And then somebody else will buy the land. And then we can show you how to improve it again and fix it back so it's as good as it was in the beginning. And you can do that with livestock. And if you if you want to take all the livestock off and just raise buffalo and elk, that's fine. But you're going to have to manage that buffalo and elk. If you let them overproduce and you don't harvest the crop, it, they will devastate the land. And Lewis and Clark are great testimonies of this because they're coming apart, uh, coming across the continent. And they found whole areas that were completely, not only uninhabitable by anything but fleas, but wasn't a blade of grass growing. Gophers, fleas, and that was it. And it's because nature needs man. And man needs nature. And we are here as a part of a symbiotic relationship. So how do we do that? Well, we have to be wiser than a fool. We'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So this is really about something you can do yourself. But it also is something you can do with others. Uh, because sometimes teamwork is required and it challenges you. Because if you, you know, I always tell the story about when I was in the military and the first day that we went to the rifle range, we didn't, we weren't allowed to take any bullets. We were supposed to lay there and aim at the targets and dry fire our weapons. And I said, yeah, the first day I was the best shot because I hit every time. Of course, you, there were no bullets. <laughs> so you just imagined that you won, you know, like, you know, if you play, uh, I knew guys who would play uh, handball by themselves, you know, where they would hit the ball up against the wall and, and they were really good at it. They got really good at it. But when you have another person where, you know, they have to hit the ball every other time, it's not so easy, <laughs> you know, uh, because you, you bring in this other element of another individual that you're pitting your skill against. And that's good. That competition is good, but it can also become bad. We talked about that the other day with some people, is that people that are highly competitive uh, who don't have children will play with small children, and they won't let the small children win. You know, they're they're trying to make the goal or the basket, and they will block the shot. 
because but they're, they're three times as tall and they still block the shot and I thought like you are you know you were playing with a six year old right <laughs> you got you can chase them like you're gonna tackle them but you can't actually tackle them <laughs> when you chase them they'll run faster but you know you got to remember you're out of their weight class you know but of course when people they're not they had never had children they don't they don't understand that and that they're so competitive that they won't let somebody win and of course that's why you get the you know guys saying i think i'm a girl so i get to compete with other girls and then they win all the races and then they hold up the trophy like they've accomplished something you know it's like like the guy who was Six foot tall, competing with an eight year old at basketball and then not, and blocking the shot. Like, yeah, we knew you could block the shot. You're, you're twice as tall. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's no achievement there. So, but people get into these mindsets and, and it's part of that delusion. And they, they aren't playing the fool. They are the fool. And, you know, the, you know, I, I know that guy is not only not a girl, he's a fool because he thinks he has won something because as a man pretending to be a girl, he won the race. Now, there is getting to be some backlash I heard the other day in the weightlifting classes where they're talking like, well, you know, if you're a man, born a man, you're not going to get to compete with the girls. And uh, I don't know if that's at least in one division or one uh, one sort of uh, competitive arena. But the fact that we even went there for a little while, it's just insane. But it shows you that, that we have this entire delusional world. And so, you know, before I get into deeply into this list of things that you need to understand to prevent yourself from becoming a fool... And raising fools, I'll finish the story of the coyote so that you know that, you know, when you hear this, you can go back. So what they did in this, out here in this end, you can hire a government hunter and that your government taxpayers will pay for a hunter. And then you can hire a plane. You have to pay for that usually. Although sometimes the government will pay for the plane or the helicopter. And he will go out there with an automatic shotgun and he'll shoot. 20, 30, maybe 50, 60 coyotes in a day. But, you know, you're paying the helicopter pilot six, seven hundred dollars an hour. <laughs> you're shooting the coyotes and you, chances are you might have people on the ground that picks up the pelts, but probably not. And, uh, uh, so they just sit out there or they get wounded and, you know, he's trying to shoot as many as he can in a short period of time. And so that's what you do because you have to get the numbers down because there are just too many coyotes. You go back to the walruses we talked about in the first part of the show. The biologists will tell you that the walruses overproduce, eat up all their food supply. Then they go through periods of famine and starvation and they die out again. They get sick and die. Polar bears will do the same thing, but that, which is why you got polar bears down there breeding with grizzly bears is because they're driving out the excessive number of polar bears because of competition. Uh, because there's too many. There's not, they're not becoming extinct. There's too many for the terrain. And they say, oh, well, the seal population going down. They're probably going to blame that on, 
uh, on global warming. No, that's because the polar bears are eating them. <laughs> and so, you know, you have to look at the big picture or people could just lead you down uh, to a, a road of nonsense where you have no idea what's really going on. I mean, that was a story I just read last night that uh, ARM, I think is what they call themselves. It's some animal rights, something or other. And they call themselves ARM. And they, they got somebody to work at, uh, I think it was a dairy, something farm, FOF farm or something. And uh, you can probably look it up. And ARM is the only one I, uh, name I can remember. And they had somebody working, several people working there for th- two years, I think it was. And uh, they were trying to accumulate video of cruelty to animals. And finally they got a video of cruelty to animals. It involved four people. Three of them were the arm people who <laughs> had been there for two years. And the other one was somebody who doesn't even work for that company. Because that company has a rule. If you see cruelty to the animals, if you see it, report it. These guys were trying to make it happen. They actually orchestrated it, filmed it, and then tried to blame it on them. And in reality, it was them who caused it. And so, it, people don't understand. Yeah, there are probably farmers out there that are cruel. And there are farmers out there that are very caring and, and, and are very much a part of the herd and, and the, the livestock. And creating that proper balance is, includes getting outside of your echo chambers and start seeing life as it really is. Start confronting it as it really is. So, the other way of decreasing the number of coyotes in uh, our community, you don't hire a government hunter. You don't pay a guy, you know, $600, $800 an hour to fly around in a helicopter or airplane. You don't shoot coyotes and wound them and just leave the carcasses in the desert. But you get all your friends and neighbors to have a hunt. And you make a contest out of it. And some people donate some money. They're having, I mean, they're losing thousands of dollars in livestock. Calves are being killed. Lambs are being killed. Uh, their dogs are being killed. Their cats are being killed. And, uh, it's, they're devastating the countryside because there's just too many coyotes. And you say, we're going to have a hunt. And they donate money to buy a rifle or, you know, with a fancy sights and what have you. And that's going to be the prize. And all the guys go out there, I think in Harney County, they had like 70 or 77 guys who went out to hunt these coyotes in in a short period of time. And they killed 66 coyotes. And then they bring back, and the guy who gets the most coyotes, uh, the biggest coyotes, you know, they weigh them, they have some way of figuring out this contest, they win the prizes. And it doesn't cost taxpayers a dime. And it saves thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in lost revenue from predation. Because all those coyotes are going to be killed. There's still lots of coyotes left. And they they all get real wary for a while after that hunt. They They hear a man, they hear a truck, they hear a dog, and they don't, they take off in the other direction. And so you don't have as many losses. And so 
everything is balanced. And then they, they'll get used to it and they'll get lazy and then we'll have another hunt next year and we'll thin them out again. Uh, and that's us playing a part of nature. But the legislature sitting back there because the people say, oh, this is cruel to animals. You know, you're shooting those animals. It's cruel to see these animals all starving and dying too because they've overhunted their area and they've killed off, you know, they're killing off deer. And they're not, you, okay, they killed a calf and you, or, or 10 calves. You can figure they killed a hundred fawns, you know, during when the, the, the deer are calving and, and uh, having their fawns, they're out there killing those elk too. And, uh, because they're predators and there are too many of them and you need to cut their numbers back. Now, when they have this hunt, you know, there will be guys who will skin them out and save the hides and those hides will be used in the making of clothing and all that stuff. But that's that's natural resources being properly used because you're a part of nature. You're using the same as the coyote is killing the deer, except for the coyote just lives, you know, he eats stuff and then he'll just leave the hides and the bones and all that stuff, the bleach and the sunlight. You know, you can take them. I knew a, a trapper who he, he was staying in an in old uh, farmstead that nobody lived in. And there were some old cherry trees outside the farmstead that weren't doing very good. And so he dug holes all the way around the cherry trees. And he buried the carcasses after he skinned the coyotes out. And and I guess he trapped uh, other muskrats when they got too numerous too. And so he put the carcasses down there deep in the soil and that cherry tree just bloomed because of the fact that he added to the soil he's a part of nature you guys sitting in portland telling us how to deal with nature don't know what you're talking about but what you have in the senate is the spirit of despotism they want to rule over people they don't know over situations they don't understand and they want to impose their will this is what makes you a fool. You're micromanaging something you don't know anything about or don't understand. And that is what we're seeing here is a pattern of thought, a way of thinking. And that's, you think, well, what does that have to do with me and freedom in the country and all this stuff? That's the same thing that's going to take away your freedom and your rights. That spirit of micromanaging and controlling. And, you know, I, I, I won't get off on this subject, but, you know, the same people that voted to save those coyotes are the people who voted for not, uh, abortions at nine months. Uh, and even infanticide. So they're not, it's not about cruelty or humanity or anything. It's about control. That's the way they're voting and that's why they're voting the way they are because they want to control other people and they like being in control. That's the spirit of despotism. And you're just seeing the tip of the iceberg with these these little examples that I'm I'm laying out for you. And it's the way of foolishness. It's the way of Saul. And we'll get into this eventually and we'll show you. I've been working on our our pages on foolishness, the foolish virgins and the and uh that's a different kind of foolishness, but that we had the foolish virgins article look at and we also have the foolishness of Saul and the Saul syndrome and all these different things because that's what 
Saul was called when he imposed the first tax. He said, you've done this foolish thing. Your kingdom will not stand. Because Samuel understood how it works. And that's what I'm telling you is how it works. If you want to micromanage other people and, and control their choices and decisions, then you're you're following the spirit of despotism. And then you just multiply that by millions of tyrants and you will eventually have a single tyrant that will rule over all. Because as you judge, so shall ye be judged. If you want to be a tyrant over your neighbor, if you want to covet your neighbor's goods, you will lose your goods. If you want to regulate the life of your neighbor, your life will become regulated. And and then people, what they do is they say, wait a minute, I don't want that much regulation. So they try to control it. It's out of control. It's out of your control. You've already stepped over the line and decided to covet your neighbor's goods. Your goods will be taken away from you. You've coveted your neighbor's right to choose what to do with his goods. And now your goods will be, your rights to choose what you want to do with your goods will be taken away from you. That's the way it works. As you judge, so shall you be judged. So if you want to take away from the rich, say, in order to have your social welfare, to have free education, your life will be taken away. Your life will be forfeited. Your things will be forfeited. You know, a poor man in America is a rich man in most countries. That's right. A poor man in America today is a rich man compared to most of the people throughout history. Because he's got more stuff, if that's the way you measure wealth. But again, like I said at the beginning of the program, one guy said you never measure wealth in money or things. Wealth is something else. And I tell you, if you have the spirit of greed in you, you will lose everything eventually. If you have the spirit of wantonness in you, you will lose everything eventually. So what can you do about this? Very important. What can we do about this? So, like I said, brain development is use dependent. Use it or lose it. So, a lot of your decision foolishness is most manifested in the brain and what the brain tells you to do and not do. What the brain tells you is true and not true. And so you're going to have to start discerning what is true. And one of the most important things to know or willing to know in your quest for truth is that you might be wrong now. You might not know the truth now. You might not know the truth tomorrow. What you think is true one day may not be true. Truth is not relative. There is not your truth and my truth. There's truth. You need to know that right off. Truth is what is true. You can have your opinion as to what is true, but that's not going to change one hair from black to, well, it might turn your hair gray, (laughs) but it's not going to turn it white. So, you know, you can't change these things by your opinion. You can't, you can't become a woman because you want to think you're a woman. You're, a woman is a lot more than your opinion. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a big different. You, you can be an effeminate man. Uh, and, and your opinion may cause you to be an effeminate man, but you're not really a woman. 
You can dress up, but that's not what makes a woman. Makeup isn't what makes a woman. Surgery isn't what makes a woman. And, you know, the other thing, i just throw this out really quick before we start down this list, is that I heard Trudeau, somebody was, uh, and you, you want to talk about fools, there's a guy who is, is unbelievably foolish, but he's young. Hopefully he'll grow and awaken someday. But uh, somebody said, uh, mankind, and he says, no, no, no. And I think he used the word person kind. It's more inclusive. No, it's less inclusive. <laughs> you know, mankind includes men and women. <laughs> women. A woman is a man with a womb. And that's just something that people need to understand, that mankind includes women. That's why we call them women or a woman. Is because she's a man too, but she's just the female of the species. You know, there's, there's, you can make the difference in chromosomes. You can make the difference in other areas, but there's clearly a difference. And those hormones in her are different than the hormones in him. And so anyway, so how do you keep a person from being a fool? You have to be willing to see the truth and you have to be willing to see that you may have already been deceived. But how do you, how do you improve your condition in relationship to being a fool or not being a fool? Not being a fool isn't necessarily being wise. That's another, that's another thing altogether. But one thing is stress is good. You need to require and provide challenges and risks in your children as they're growing up and in you because you're still in the process of growth no matter how old you are. Because that's what keeps you young is always being willing to learn something new and do something new and challenge yourself and sometimes take risks. Safe spaces and echo chambers are a bad thing. I mean, everybody maybe, you maybe want to have a safe place to sleep at night so you rest well. Okay. But the idea of every time any kind of a challenge or any kind of uh, uh, stress comes along that you need your safe place because somebody said something, no, you don't. You need to be challenged. That's how you get stronger. You use it or lose it. Children's brains are shaped by what they do slowly and repeatedly over a period of time. If if the child is completely developed in a, a short set of events, he can be completely developed in a wrong way in a short set of events. You know, I, I listened to, uh, we were cleaning up the shop and my son was playing uh, Jordan Peterson and uh, Milo's uh, interview. And I guess it went over a long period. I didn't get to hear the whole thing because I had to go do something else. But uh, that was fascinating. You know, Milo is this gay conservative who fell out of grace because he said something that evidently offended people's safe space. And, uh, but he was talking, he was supposedly molested by somebody twice his age when he was 14 years old. And in the course of this conversation, he admitted that this was the first time he considered that it wasn't his fault. 
that he was molested by this person twice his age and in a position of power. That's astounding. This guy's in his 30s and he's just now realized that was not his fault. He's been carrying the guilt of this all this time. He, what happened is that this is grooming. This is changing the way you think. And then you continue in that, you know, and then he goes on to say that when he started dating in high school, he brought boys home on his dates to make his mother mad. He stated this. To make his mother mad. Not because he loved boys, but to make his mother bad. Well, why would he even consider the fact that he was interested in boys? Well, it was part of the trauma of the original molestation. And the truth is, and it didn't come out in the interview, but just knowing how it works, he was traumatized long before he was molested. And that traumatization weakened him and made pushed him over to the foolish side of the equation, which allowed this uh, predator who may have been a predator because he was molested when he was a kid. I don't know. I don't know what his story is. But allowed this predator to know that this boy was subject, could be manipulated because he had had trauma before. And he built on that trauma a new trauma. And then Milo carried on with that because he lost something in that trauma. When you have a trauma that you're not willing to look at, not willing to see in your life. Somehow you were traumatized. Your your father left. Your father stayed and beat you. Your mother left. Your mother betrayed you. Your mother allowed your father to beat you. Whatever it is. These are traumas. And you don't want to deal with it. You don't want to look at it. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want to confront it. It becomes a dark spot in your mind. And behind that manipulation then... You know, parasites can manipulate you and get in, groom you and control you. And you get to, you need, you don't just need stress. Stress is good. Challenge is good. Risk is good. But you need to be willing to confront. Not look for the safe place, but look for the dangerous place in you. The things you don't want to see. You have to be willing to look at that. Because what happens is a child, almost everybody who is traumatized as a child, you, if you are astute and can see, and can hold more than one idea in your mind at one time, you can see that they don't mature in certain aspects of their growth beyond that age where the trauma took place. If the trauma, the serious major turning trauma is at five, then the, there will always be a little bit of a five-year-old in that person. If it's at eight, you'll see that person's kind of like eight years old or 14, as it was in the case of Milo. Uh, but I, I, again, I, there was a trauma earlier. I've seen this, I give you hundreds of examples that you have to be willing to face the trauma. And that often means that you need help facing it. Because often the trauma comes about because somebody wasn't there for you. Your mother wasn't there for you. Your father wasn't there for you. Your friends weren't there for you. Your brothers and sisters weren't there for you. Somehow or other, that is often part of that trauma, although not always. Sometimes they're not there for you through no fault of their own. They died. But that will still, to you, they they abandon you. That's the way your your psyche will receive it. 
And so there's this feeling of abandonment and betrayal. And that is part of that trauma. So somebody has to be there for you. Schizophrenics is a big problem with schizophrenics. Somebody has to be there for you in a non-judgmental sort of way. So this is why doing this together with other people who are facing some of these same challenges can be a good, good, good thing. Can be. But you need a chance to practice coping with these small risks and with these hidden traumas in your life. Uh, dealing with them in a, uh, a manner where there's some consequences. See, that's what meditation, there needs to be some consequence. If you see something during meditation about yourself, that you're doing something for the wrong reason, you're doing something for a selfish reason, the consequence of that is you see that you are selfish. That's a good thing. Now you can choose, I don't want to be selfish. You can't make yourself unselfish, but you can say, I don't want to be selfish. Help me with my unselfishness. And then the miracles will start to happen. Then the growth will come. But we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. So in in life as a child is growing up, he's taught to uh, take risks, to accept challenges, you know, going into first grade, going into second grade. What happens a lot of time in public school, and I see it, because I know people going to public school, and I, I never went to public school myself, but I've seen the results is they, they it's kind of like when you go into the army, you know, that first the sergeant is trying to make you feel good about being there, and then he turns on you. He plays, he plays both good cop and bad cop on a regular basis. So you have this in schools where they try to make school fun and get the kids all wanting to come back. And then they come back and then after a while, then all of a sudden you turn on them. (laughs) But then you bring more fun things in and you make them addicted to it. And they they don't even know. I mean, it's not like they're planning this out. But uh, And if... If people are telling me that, oh, the school system is great and it's really working good, well, then why are there so many foolish people in the world being duped on a regular basis and uh, being fooled on a regular basis and uh, and clamoring to defend their foolishness even in the face of the truth? So anyway, you, you need to have your children. I'm, I'm a big advocate of homeschooling, but even in homeschooling, you need to challenge your children. They can get lazy if you don't work at homeschooling. And it's not just about knowledge. It's about learning to apply themselves. Uh, like they just passed a law, not a law, rule in some schools that uh, kids cannot, I think it's in a, actually in a state, but uh, they can't have any electronic devices uh, while they're in school. No phones, no iPads, none of that stuff. And I actually am not in favor of a rule like that. I'm in a favor of a rule like, yeah, you can have your phone, but you have to leave it off. You get caught turning it on during class and you're in trouble. You get caught turning it on during study hall, you're in trouble. It's just like if you get caught using a calculator during math test, you're in trouble. And uh, what it is is that you have to discipline the children to learn to discipline themselves to be able to turn it off. You make it so that watching your iPhone while you're having a conversation and answering, you know, you know, listening halfway, just same as driving. 
you know, you're not supposed to drive and text at the same time. You're not supposed to talk to people. Put your phones away. Make that a social habit. Put your phones away when you're having a conversation. And use it when you need it. You know, I actually, I'm in a conversation with people and I see them using their phone, but I find out they're looking up things that maybe just were said to find out what a particular word means or something. So the use of the phone is actually can be a part of the conversation because you're trying to find out the facts and deal with each other. It's not something separate. You're not sitting off there, you know, texting nonsense. So, the tool is not the problem. It's the way we use the tool. And the child is not the problem. It's the way we misuse the child. So, we have to challenge our children. And whether at homeschool or wherever you have, you have to challenge them. And create situations where there is greater and greater stress on the child that he can handle. This is a part of management of parenthood. So that he risks failing in order to adequately be challenged in order to grow that brain. That when he fails, you need to be there. And not not soften the fall too much. But encourage him to get up and try again. You know, it's like when my uh, grandson, we were playing football that day. Uh, and he was really little. I don't know, he might have been five or six. And he'd get the ball and I would run behind him like I was going to tackle him. And I would run up and I'd just like reach out and just grab his shirt tail just a little bit, you know, like he knew I was right there. And he would run even faster. You could see him visibly speed up. He thought he was running as fast as he could. But when he felt me tugging on his shirt tail, oh, then he really turned on the speed. But he was laughing the whole time because it was exhilarating. Those endorphins were going, but I let let him outrun me. You know, most of the time. <laughs> when I saw him slacking off, I'd, I'd maybe grab him. But the reality is that's how you challenge them according to their abilities. But okay, what about the trauma that is already there? Now you want to go deep into the darkness of their own hearts. How do you help them do that so that they can face those things they couldn't face, which is what made it a trauma? Bad things happen to all kinds of people. But a trauma is a bad thing undealt with. You didn't deal with it. And there's certain people, and all all of us from one time to another, but some people more so than others, who don't want to deal with issues. They They don't want to argue at all. They don't want to be challenged at all in what they think. And I can understand not wanting to do it all the time. But occasionally you're going to have to face things and speak up about things that are bothering you and be willing to do that and accept the consequences that you might be wrong or you might be unfair or you might be, maybe you are right in the problem that you think is in existence. But you have to be willing to have that challenge. And again, to have that challenge amongst people who care about you and are learning to care about one another is very important, which is, again, why we say sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and challenge one another. Not not to try to prove yourself right, but to try to find the truth. And that's taking a risk. 
And when you find out they don't quite agree with you, don't pick up your toys and go. Stick it out. Maybe they'll cast you out. Maybe they won't. But stick it out. Challenge one another. Just like we need to allow our children to try things and fail. We need to try to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And if we fail, then we need to try again. Short-sighted decisions that come from inexperience, uh, we may have to suffer the results if we have these short-sighted decisions. You know, like, you know, that's what people are, well, now they have these carbon taxes that are coming out. Uh, and uh, we're already seeing businesses shutting down in Oregon because they just passed something, you know, their cap and trade. Uh, they're going to suffer the consequences of it. But a lot of people will be in denial as to why they're suffering the consequences of it. Even though we have a pretty stimulated economy now that with some people are losing their jobs because of this already. And companies are leaving the state. Unfortunately, other states are getting onto the same thing. So how can we start bringing this down to things, positive things that we could do? Well, I have a whole list here about 13, 14 different things. And it'll probably grow by the time it gets on a web page. But you have to be willing to meet people from different backgrounds. That means that in your congregations, you may have Jehovah Witnesses, former Jehovah Witnesses, or Jehovah Witnesses now even, or Seventh-day Adventists, or Buddhists, or, um, you know, Catholics, or Presbyterians, or what have you. Maybe former atheists or people that still have atheist tendencies. You may even have somebody who's gay, you know, or thinks they're gay. I have to say thinks they're gay because most people aren't gay. Most people who think they're gay, they're not really gay. It's a product of trauma and addiction, you know, and they can overcome that. But most of the methods that people use that they call therapy aren't going to work. Because, I mean, the Bible tells you that they're given over to this way of thinking. But it's usually the result of trauma. And I can show you historically that that's the case. Almost everybody who was the original publishers and trying to talk about gay rights back in the 20s and 30s and all that stuff. Almost every single one, I would say every single one, everyone that I know of, admits having been molested as a child. Coincidence? I don't think so. (laughs) So anyway, but where, you know, just telling somebody that doesn't make it go away because these these are deep inside the person. So how do you get deep inside? Well, we're not going to cover that all in this radio program. But one thing is to meet other people, but not just meet other people, sit down with other people uh, in positive practices. Not covetous practices, but positive practices that involve a certain amount of sacrifice on your part for the benefit of other people, preferably other people you don't even know. If you just sit down in a congregation to benefit each other, well, then that's just loving those that love you, being charitable to those who are charitable with you. Can you be charitable to people that you don't even know? Can you be charitable to, to with strangers? Well, that doesn't mean, you know, really bad idea. We talked about this in the previous show. Don't hand $20 bills or $10 bills or $1 bills out your car window to people on the side of the road with a sign. You know, and I, I shared videos with people just this last week or so 
of people who do this for a living. Actually, they do other things for a living. They have plenty of money, but they go out to get extra money. They dress up in their old coat, and they go out in there and stand. It's like gold panning, except you don't have to drive up to the mountains. And they're just they're just fishing for you to give them something. And, you know, I've confronted the guys on the street. They admit, oh, it's just a lifestyle. I don't want to work. I want to spend idle days away, and but I need a little bit of extra cash. I can go to the free kitchens for food, and I get shelter. But, you know, I want a little extra cash, maybe for drugs or whatever. <laughs> he didn't say. Although I've seen, what was it, John Stossel just did a deal where he sat out on the street and said he needed help. And they stopped everybody who gave him money, and they gave it back, and they told him who he was. But uh he, he stood out there also with a sign that said he needed to buy beer or something like that. Or, and uh, he just admitted it right out. And he said, I got just about as much money with that sign as him. <laughs> he, thought, he thought it was amazing. But uh it's bad. You, you don't, you want to give charity that strengthens one another. And in a congregation, you want to keep that in mind and figure out ways you can help other people. And that's your outreach. But cultivating that willingness to sacrifice for others and challenging one another in in the process can strengthen you, strengthen the Christian muscles of your heart. So, number two, engage in novel experiences. Try different things. Well, you don't have to go out hang gliding or jumping out of airplanes or something like that, but... You know, challenge yourself. Look outside the box. Don't be looking for your church entity standard church group that we sit and we do this. You know, like I said, people, some people go to church for the sermon. Some people go to church for the, uh, the music. Some people go to church for the potluck. Uh, you know, th- those aren't good reasons. <laughs> None of those are good reasons. Uh, it's fine to have a Bible study. It's fine to listen to a sermon. But Christ didn't come to do those things. And you shouldn't gather for those reasons either. But uh, alone, uh, shake it up. Try different things. Be willing to try different things with other people. Um, challenge yourself. Go beyond your comfort zone. As people go to church to feel comfortable. Don't go to church to feel comfortable. I don't go to church to feel uncomfortable, but be willing to feel uncomfortable in order to hear what other people have to say, what other people want. Try different things. A lot of our congregations, they're not close enough to meet. They can only meet on the phone because people are so spread out. It's so hard to find people willing to repent. But actually, they're out there. They're out there in your community. You just haven't found them. But you have to work on building the network the email network, the living network, by forming congregations. And then then together we can go out and try to find all those other people in your local community. But you need, you know, the kingdom of God and the, and the gathering of the church and the early church was a much different thing than you'll find in almost any church anywhere in the United States today. And so really engaging what the early church did is a novel experience. It will require you to go beyond your comfort zone. Uh, it says travel more. Uh, but you can also do it as Siddhartha did it, eventually as he did it, is that he stayed in one place, in one river, and everybody came by him. But the reality is that if you're networking, if you're sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you will 
be meeting people from lots of different areas. You will be interacting with people from uh, and hearing about interactions with people from lots of different areas. But you have to be doing something that is challenging, you know, uh, that will expand your vision of the kingdom. So, yeah, meet more people, which is every person you meet is a journey to another world because they're what is in their mind, what's in their heart, is a compilation of everything that they have gone through and, and throughout their life. And so that's a way of traveling into the hearts and minds of other people by interacting. And that was one of the things in the Milos and uh, Jordan Peterson interviews. You could see him uh, making a journey into this guy's life. And I cannot help but think it did not have a profound effect on Milo's thinking. But time will tell. Uh, so you have to become a volunteer. You have to become a person who is willing to help. When something needs to be done in a congregation meeting, the problem is you, you should have the, is that you're telling everybody, no, you sit down, you sit down, you sit down. Because everybody's trying to get up to do whatever needs to be done. And you need to all be trying to volunteer, help one another, take the burden off of one another. And that includes going into the dark places of each of our hearts. The traumas you had in high school, the the traumas you had with ex-husbands or ex-wives or ex-friends or your parents or everything. You know, when his interview with Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan said, you know, the oh, he hadn't seen his father in, I don't know, 15, 20 years. And uh, his real father, he'd seen his stepfather. And he said, because his father was mean to his mother, and they divorced, and so he never saw him again. And he said, well, he was never mean to me. He was just mean to my mother. That That's trauma. If you're mean, if someone's mean to your father or your mother, that's going to traumatize you. It doesn't have to just be mean to you that traumatizes you. And again, trauma is undealt with issues of your life. Things you should have dealt with and you couldn't at that time and you haven't since. So now you have to go back and deal with that. And your congregation should be there helping you and supporting you in dealing with that. I mean, well, we'll, we'll get on to what all that means later on. So you're... You're constantly, Christ voluntarily was crucified. You have to voluntarily do the same thing in your congregations and in your life and in your neighborhood, not just with your congregation. Be more alert. Become a people watcher. See what's going on around you. People get lost in their daydreams. If you daydream all the time, you can't live your life. You're living your life in your imagination. Get involved. See what's going on around you. Watch your children. Watch the expression on people's faces when you're talking to them. Watch people interacting. Even when you watch a movie, see how these people are interacting off of one another. Become observant. And one of the things that can help you become more alert and observant is to practice meditation because you have lot, you're constantly Trying to create a safe place in your mind where you don't see this and you don't see that and you don't look at this and you don't look at that. But meditation is about being willing to see those things that you've hidden down inside yourself. I have a whole web page and 
audios on meditation. Learn how to do that. Practice it religiously, ritually, regularly. And But then it's when you go out in life and deal with the issues that you weren't willing to look at before that you can now look at with clearer vision because you've learned to be still. And then now you can also learn to know. Determine if people are trustworthy, and that's partly from being alert and watching them. And realize that most people are not trustworthy, but some people you might be able to trust more than others. But you don't want to put your trust in the people, but trust in the spirit of righteousness. And that will help you observe when you're about to be taken. You know, the fool is born every day. You know, the con man depends upon it. That he appeals to the foolish in your nature. And this is why I was saying that Milo was probably, first time he was molested, maybe first time sexually molested when he was, when he was 14. But the first time he was molested emotionally was long before that. And that set him up for the next event which began to cement his relationship in the particular pattern that he now thinks that he's gay. When it's not, you know, that he's a homosexual. He's, he's not. He That's a social construct. You know, the same people who talk about that being natural and everything, they say that male and female is a social construct. I'm not all of them, but there's a lot of people who, who are professing the idea that being male or female is a social construct, which is ridiculous. It's absurd. I mean, there is some social construct in being a girl or a boy. But the reality is being a girl or a boy is not just a social construct. It's a biological construct that you have very little control over. Although you can screw it up. You can mess it up. I mean, you start giving people hormone blockers. If if somebody's naturally gay, why do you have to give them hormone blockers? You know? You're messing with things you don't understand. The same as, you know, the, the guys who want to outlaw competition shoots of hunting coyotes, which is really the most efficient and best way to manage the, the overpopulation of coyotes in this high desert country. It is, it is, as far as I've seen, one of the best ways to do it. There's the least amount of waste. The, the least amount of expense to the government and therefore to your neighbor, etc. But they don't take that into consideration. They don't, they can't even think about that. It's the blind leading the blind. The Sanhedrin has spoken. But that's not what the Sanhedrin should be doing. But it's because it is filled with tyrants and despots. And that's why you're headed towards that more and more, not just on state level, but federal level, worldwide level. So anyway, number eight was identify the signs of dishonesty, which is part of determining whether people are trustworthy. But, you know, make a note. When people cheat you, don't hide that truth. Share it with your your congregation. And if they're a member of your congregation, call them out in the open. Have an open trial right there, you know, by Vordire, by by your own community. And be willing to say, you know, I think I was cheated here. And talk about it. Don't get mad. Don't get angry. That's a part of that mental discipline you need. You're just trying to, you're, you're pointing it out for the, for love of that individual who was not trustworthy as much as for your 
other members of your congregation so that they don't get taken advantage of. As well as people outside of your congregation. Because if he stops being untrustworthy or cheat or dishonest or whatever it is, that improves all of society. It makes all of society a safer place. But you can't make it a safer place unless you're willing to challenge one another and listen to one another and hear one another out. But then in the process, you begin to see that person is lying. I can tell he's lying by the way he's looking away and the way he's looking down. It isn't always that way. But again, become that people watcher. Be willing to see other people, not with judgment, but always wondering, am I that way? Do I do that too? Because we do a great many things unconsciously. So it's part of that, you know, that I took this list from somebody else. And so their number nine is learn to read people, which is really redundant of what I just said. So these are really actually subtopics of being alert. Uh, number 10, listen more. Talk less, which is just part of the tools of learning to be alert. Because when you're talking and jibber-jabbering and not listening or not watching, not observing, pondering, or even daydreaming about what you think you just heard. Somebody wrote something. I, I didn't check it yet this morning. But he said that that he had criticized what I had said once. And he didn't really say what I had said. But it sounded like what he was suggesting, I didn't say. <laughs> but I don't know. I asked him about it. I haven't heard back from him. He may have answered, but I didn't. I was too busy getting ready for this program and the next. But uh listen more, talk less. Recognize that you can't fix people and have confidence in your ability to try to be fixed by confronting other people. But anyway... You do that by gathering in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And until you're willing to do that, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www dot his holy church dot net